Are you glad to be here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I also want to just uh, thank Brother Gill for uh, preaching in uh, my absence and Pastor Joey's absence. It was Pastor Appreciation Sunday, last Sunday. Gil, thank you so much. You did a great job. Amen. And uh, I want to thank all of you that have blessed me and my wife uh, with gifts and love and with cards. So thank you so much for that. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hands nice and high. If you don't have an outline, raise them nice and high and our ushers will bring one to you. If you're good, say, I'm good. Well, let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word, yeah? All right. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for waking us up this morning and that we're here today, Lord, to, to gather and, and to love you and uh, to know you more and Lord, just to, to hear you speak to our hearts as we open your word, Lord, you begin to speak to our hearts. And so, Father, we're so thankful for that. I pray that you bless, Lord, our time here today. And Father, Lord, um, those listening online, that you bless them as well. And Father, I decrease that you would increase unto myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind will be of you and not of me. I pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said... Amen. Uh, turn to the book of Jude, chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Jude chapter 1, verses 12 through 16 is today's text. Uh, Jude chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 16. We're now in part 4 of our series, uh, Fight for the Truth. Say that, Fight for the Truth. And as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 8 through 11. And Jude, you, you should remember this, right, gives a description of the corrupt thinking, corrupt practices, corrupt character of these false teachers, these apostates. And he points out that they are dreamers. They are dreamers, and they base their, their belief system on their own dreams. They're, they're using their, their dream life as being divine authority. Then he points out also that they, are def, they, they, defile, excuse me, they defile the flesh, and just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And they believe if it feels good, do it. Okay, it's the attitude that God's word doesn't matter. His word doesn't matter. Just go ahead and fulfill your fleshly desires. Then he points out they disregard authority. They disregard authority. And just like the people coming from Egypt as well as the angels who rebelled against God. And then he points out they despise dominions. They despise dominions. They continually speak profanely about sacred things, celestial beings, and glorious things of God. And these, uh, these guys would speak against anything that reflected God's glory, including the angels, and they slandered and blasting the angels. Well, in contrast to this, what, what, what Jude said in verse 9, look what he said in contrast to this, verse 9, he says, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said what? The Lord rebuke you. Say that. The Lord rebuke you. And you see, Michael recognized that the devil had been created a higher ranked angel than he was. And Michael realized, friends, that he was not in a position to pronounce a judgment on the devil. And so what he did, he refrained from overstepping his bounds. And he chose not to engage the devil, but rather decided to leave that to God. To God. Instead of sticking out his chest and thinking, you know, I'm going to take the devil down, he defers and stands behind the name of the Lord and says, the Lord rebuke you. And then in verse 10, if you look at that, Jude tells us that these men speak profanely and arrogantly about things they know nothing about. They know nothing about when it comes to God. The things they know are by their own instincts and not by the Holy Spirit and not by the word, the scripture, the word 
of God. So this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Here Comes the Judge. Everyone say that. Now what Jude does, Jude continues to warn us about these false teachers, about these apostates, speaking of those who never really had the true faith, but pretended to be a part of it. And we'll see in the text that they will one day be judged. If you're ready to dive into the text, say yes. Three points from the text. Number one is this, their deception. Write that down. Say that, their deception. And what Jude does, Jude warns us, his readers, us, the church, of their deceptive nature. And he wanted to make sure that the readers, the church, spotted these false teachers. He wanted, listen now, them to, he wanted them unmasked, unmasked, so we could see them for what they really are. And so I want you to follow me. Look at verse 12. These men are blemishes. Your Bibles might render that spots. In the Greek, it could mean hidden rocks or hidden reefs. The New American Standard Bible renders it as hidden reefs. And so it's kind of like when you see a spot or a blemish on a T-shirt, instead of looking at the rest of the material, what do you look at? Your focus is on, and attention is on the spot, right? It's on the, it's on the blemish. And so the idea here is that these false teachers, these, these apostates, were, were drawing attention away from everything else and on to themselves, just like a spot and just like a blemish. And they were also like hidden rocks or, or hidden reefs. And hidden rocks and hidden reefs are dangerous because you can't see them. You can't see them. And they can destroy a ship and rip it to shreds. And so the idea here, friends, is that these phonies, these these false teachers, these apostates, these, these phonies went to the church, went to the love feast, and partook of the Lord's Supper, and secretly, say secretly, secretly desired to destroy God's work, to rip it to shreds. Let's look at the text again. These men are blemishes, spots, hidden rocks, or hidden reefs, at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, in other words, without fear or without hesitation, shepherds who feed only themselves. Now, if you were with us in our series from the book of 1 Corinthians, you should know what a love feast is, right? A love feast, say love feast. It was a fellowship meal in conjunction with the Lord's Supper. It was like a potluck, like a potluck. And it was an opportunity for fellowship, listen now, and for sharing with those who were less privileged, those who were less fortunate. And so before they, were, they would have communion, they would gather together and they would eat and they would fellowship. The rich would come and bring food and that way the, the less fortunate, the poor would, would be able to eat in that fellowship. Got it? Well, these false teachers, these apostates were, were unconcerned, listen now, with the need of others. And they only sought to gorge themselves. Their only priority was their own gain and, and gain and their own pleasure. And they did this without fear. They did this without hesitation. And you see, these guys were, were present. We're talking about these false teachers. We're talking about these apostates. Listen now. They were present at the church services. They were present at the love feast at the Lord's table who pretended to be leaders to gratify their own desires. Are you guys with me? They were only interested in shepherding themselves and not others in the true ways of God. And instead of caring for the needs of the flock, 
They were, what does the text say? They were what? They were shepherds who feed only themselves, right? In other words, they're selfish. They're self-centered shepherds thinking of promoting their own, listen now, self-image and importance. Now, I want you to write this down. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 through 4. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 through 4. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Listen, false shepherds, false shepherds use and abuse the people in the church in order to get what they want. And I want to tell you, friends, listen now, they're dangerous and pose a major threat to the church, to the body of Christ. Now, now they don't initially look like a danger to the church, but they are. Say they are. And listen, now, I want you to hear me now. When people's teaching and conduct do not align with Scripture, we better watch out. Yeah? We better watch out. And just like a sailor, friends, uh, keeps away from hidden rocks and, and, and reefs, as Christians, we should put distance between ourselves and false teachers and false teaching. Can I get an amen? Well, let's read on. They are clouds without what? Rain. So, so in a desert climate like Israel, you look forward to the time when rain comes, right? When rain comes, but not every cloud brings rain. And so some clouds look good, okay, they look really good, but in the end, they just pass by without any rain. They are waterless clouds. And so the idea here is that these false teachers will talk a good talk. I mean, they'll talk a really good talk, friends, but in the end, your thirst isn't satisfied by their talk. They're all show. All show, but no substance, no, no refreshment, no provision. And you see, on the surface, they look as if they are filled with the Spirit of God, but within, they are empty and they're dry, like a waterless cloud. Then, Jude says, blown along by the wind. Did you get that? Blown along by the wind. So they drift along with the wind. In other words, they are unstable and they are unreliable. Did you get that? They have no stability. And they will drift this way and they'll drift that way, friends, in religious doctrine. In other words, this is it. They're not anchored into sound doctrine. Therefore, they will drift any direction, and they will fall for any religious fad. And if it's new, if it's new, interesting, and exciting, friends, they buy into it. Are you with me? Then he says this, autumn trees without what? Fruit. Autumn trees without fruit. So in late autumn, trees have lost their leaves. And they are sapless, they are sterile, they are stark. So there's no hope of finding any fruit on these trees. And just like the, these false teachers, just like these apostates, there's no fruit. 
Now, I want you to write this down in Matthew 7, verses 16 through 17. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 17. Jesus said this, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You shall know them by their, say it, fruit. Then he says this, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, say a bad tree, bears bad fruit. So in other words, you can spot a false teacher, an apostate, because they have no fruit. They have nothing legitimate. They're not grounded. They're not planted deeply in the word of God. Now, with that being said, let me show you in contrast, and I love this, in contrast when someone is connected, planted, rooted in the word of God. So I want you to write this down. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. Psalm 1, verse 3. It says this, that person, that person is referring to the verse before, verse 3. That person is the one who delights and who meditates on the word, the law, the word of God. Got it? So that person, the one who delights, the one who meditates on the word of God, that person is like a tree planted by streams, listen now, friends, of water. Don't you love that? Listen now, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. How awesome is that? So here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Stay connected to God's Word. Friends, we need to stay connected to the Word of God, right? We need to stay connected to God's Word, stay planted Stay grounded, stay rooted in his word. This is why it's important for you and I to daily be in his word. We need to spend daily time, listen now, in his word. That's why it's important to be in church, so you can hear the messages from his word. That's why it's important to be in Bible study. If you're not in a Bible study, pick a Bible study, right? Important to be in Bible study. That's, That's being planted, that's being grounded, that's being rooted, situated by the waters. Right? When you see a fruitful Christian, you see one who's planted by the streams of waters. One who's planted, rooted in the word of God. You can tell. You can tell. Amen? Then he says this, and uprooted twice dead. Uprooted twice dead. Not mostly dead. Okay? Not like the prince's bride, right? Not, not mostly dead. Not once dead, but what? Twice dead. Twice dead. They're twice dead spiritually. I want you to follow me here. They know the truth. These apostates, these false teachers, they know the truth, okay? But they rejected and denied the truth. They substituted the truth with another message. So, listen now, they are spiritually dead and also eternally dead. Twice dead. Got it? Now get this. You can got to get this. You can look the part. You can sound spiritual. You can listen now. Sound very sincere about your belief system, and yet be dead. Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew fifteen verse thirteen. Matthew fifteen verse thirteen. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Did you guys get that? They will be plucked by the roots because they lack life and produce no fruit, they are fruitless because they are rootless. Got it? Because what determines the fruit is the root. Got it? So they're fruitless 
and rootless. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse, verse 13, there are wild waves of the sea. I want to stop there. There are what? Wild waves of the sea. And the picture here seems to be about making a lot of noise. They're making a lot of noise. These, these apostates and these false teachers, they're making a lot of noise. James Vernon McGee said this, they just stand in the pulpit, they just rant and rant and rant and rant. Like the ocean, they make a lot of noise, but what do they produce? Nothing. Not a zip zero. Right? Nothing, just noise. Let's read on. Foaming up their shame. Did you get that? Foaming up their shame. Write this down, Isaiah 57, 20. Isaiah 57, chapter 57, verse 20, says, but the wicked are like the tossing sea. Did you get that? Now listen to what he says. Which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. Did you get that? Which cast up what? Mire and mud. Go back to the text. Foaming up their what? Shame. You see, the fruit of these men was like the foam, or we could say the scum at the seashore. And what Jude has in mind here, friends, is mind is the ugly shoreline after a storm has washed up all sorts of drift, driftwood, seawood, and debris. In other words, what they possess, what these false teachers and apostates possess on the inside, eventually will come out to the surface. And it's scum. It's junk. It's debris. Got it? Now, whether it was their shameful words or, or, or their deeds, the effect of these false teachers, the effect of their lifestyle was to spread their filthy, foamy scum and pollution in the church. Now, you got to keep this in mind, friends. Judas talking about apostates, false teachers in the church. Not outside. They're in the church. Are you guys with me? Then he says this, wandering stars. Look at the text, right? Wandering stars. What Judah's doing, Judah's referring to here, he's referring to meteors or falling stars that, that suddenly appear and then vanish into the darkness, never to be seen again. The idea here is that these false teachers, listen now, these false teachers go their own way, they follow their own agendas, their own pattern and evil schemes. They wander off, listen now, they wander off any true biblical course. Got it? And by the way, the ultimate wandering star is who? The devil. The devil himself. And just like the devil, and just like these, these false teachers and apostates wander away and end up in eternal darkness. Or prove it, I will. Let's look at the end of the verse. For whom blackness, blackest darkness has been what? Reserved forever. He's talking about these people, right? So what they did, they lived their lives apart from God, embracing darkness rather than light. And what God will do because of that, God will grant them, grant them, right? He will grant them their desires in the end. And they will be eternally separated from the presence of God in outer darkness. They, listen now, have a horrific future to look forward to. That's what they want. That's what they're going to get. Which brings us right into point number two. Number two is their destiny. Say that. Their destiny. Here we see the prophecy of their coming judgment. Of their coming judgment. So look at verses 14 through 15 with me. 
verses 14 through 15. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And I want to stop there. Say Enoch. Okay. The seventh from Adam. And I want to stop there because this Enoch, this Enoch is known as the seventh from Adam to distinguish him. Got to get this. To distinguish him from another man of the same name. Cain's son was named Enoch. But Cain's son Enoch was an ungodly man. He was ungodly. So seven generations have gone from Adam, or by, by from Adam, Adam's day, and Enoch comes on the scene. In Genesis, write this down, Genesis chapter 5, verse 18, Genesis 5, verse 18, and verses 22 through 24, uh, this Enoch, the godly Enoch, he's briefly mentioned. In verses 24, 22 excuse me, through 24, it says about this godly man, Enoch, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. I'm going to read that again. He walked with God faithfully 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. And I love what it says here. Enoch walked faithfully with God. There it is again. Then he was no more because God took him away. It's a picture of the rapture. Got it? Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. I want you to write this down. Hebrews 11, verse 15. Hebrews 11, verse 15. Because he's only mentioned three times in Genesis, in Hebrews, and also in our text. Hebrews eleven fifteen. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life. From this life. Excuse me, from this life. So that he did not experience death. How crazy is that? Huh? He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Huh? So are you guys ready for the lesson? Hey, here it is. Walk with God. That's the lesson. Walk with God. Walk with God. Now, Enoch lived in ungodly times just like us. He did. Okay? Ungodly times is not new, friends. It happened back in the day. Are you with me? So Enoch lived in ungodly times just like us, and he walked with God. He pleased God. Let me ask you a question, friends. If you're safe, say amen. Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? What's your calling? Salvation. In other words, are you living and walking as one who is saved? Are you living and walking as one who's walking with God? When people look at you, the way you live, the way you walk, the way that you, 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 you act and, and the things that you do, would they say to you, hey, that's a man or a woman who serves and walks with God. And how we need that today, right? Walk with God. Do you please Him? I don't know about you, but the number one thing on your list your priority in life should be, I'm going to get up and I want to please God. I want to please God. Amen? I, I want to walk with God. I want to spend time with God. I want God to be pleased with my life. Amen? Walk with God. Well, let's continue in the text. So it says, He knocked the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. About these men, about these false teachers, these apostates. See, the Lord is coming with, what, thousands upon thousands of his holy ones, verse 15, to judge everyone, say everyone. Not just the apostates, not just the false teachers, but everyone. Everyone who's rejected Christ. 
and to convict all, or convince all, it's in other words, convince, all the ungodly, the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. That's one of Jude's favorite words, ungodly. In all of the harsh words, get that harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against God. Now, now the Bible, and you got to get this, the Bible doesn't record this prophecy. Are you with me? But it was an oral lesson passed down throughout the generations. And so what Jude is referring to here is the uninspired, unbiblical, uh, apocryphal book called the book of 1 Enoch. Okay? And that, that was widely circulated among the Jews, circulated among the Jews, common in history and Jewish tradition. And by the way, friends, Paul, Paul did this as well. He did this as well. He quoted secular sources, and we see this in Acts chapter 17. You might remember this. In Acts chapter 17, when he stood before Athens there, before the Stokes, the Epicureans, friends, and preached and quoted from pagan poets to the men of Athens. And he does this. Why, why does Paul do that for? He does this because he's making a point about the sovereign God. He's trying to relate to them. And Judah's kind of doing the same thing here. Judah's using the book of First Enoch to say that the Bible is not the only book that describes these evil men. And he's telling the Jewish readers, your own religious writings, your own writings describe them. Their own writings spoke of ungodly men who promote ungodly things. You got it? Now I want you to notice a few things, okay? A few things. And so I want you to follow me here. First of all, I want you, and I want you to write this down. Notice that this judgment will be personal. Say that. Write that down. We're going to break down the text here. This judgment will be personal. Notice the text. See who's coming. Who's coming? The Lord. See the Lord is what? Coming. He himself will judge the world. He will do it. He will do it. Okay? It will be personal. And this is how serious this is. Got it? So it's personal. Say personal. Now, if you're saved, say amen. The awesome thing is that we're going to be with him when he comes back to judge the world. Prove it. I will. Notice the text. With thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. That's us. That's us. We're coming back with him, right, as he judge, judges the world. So this judgment will be personal. Also, oh, Let's put right, Revelation, Revelation, write that down. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16. I, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Say faithful. Say true. I love this. With justice he judges and wages war. With justice. He judges and wages war. Verse 12, his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Someone say amen. He has the name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Wow. And his name is the word of God. Love that. The armies, listen now, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. Then it says this, coming out of his mouth, you got to get this, coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule, he will rule them, 
with an iron scepter. And this is what it says. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Verse 16. On his robe, you got to get this. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ has a cat. He has a tattoo on his thigh. I'm just telling you. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We're coming back with him. It's personal. So this judgment will be personal. Also, this judgment will be universal. Write that down. Universal. Say that. So he says, see, the Lord is coming. He says, to judge everyone. Not just the apostates, not just the false teachers, but everyone. Say everyone. So not one, listen, not one non-believer will get a pass. Did you get that? Not one non-believer will get a pass. They will not escape this judgment. Listen, friends, everyone who has said no to God, everyone who said no to his grace, to his mercy, to his salvation, will face this judgment. So it's, it will be personal, it will be universal, it will be, here we go, justifiable. Justifiable. It will be just and fair. It's justifiable. Look at the text. And to convict, the word could also be convince. All the ungodly, say all, the ungodly, of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way, and all of the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Their deeds and their words, okay? Their deeds and in their words, they show themselves to be what? Ungodly. I want you to write these scriptures down, okay? You ready? Okay, Numbers 32, verse 23b. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23b. And it says this, be sure your sin will find you out. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Luke 12, verse 2. Luke 12, verse 2. Luke 12, verse 2. For there is nothing covered. Say that. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. So no one, after reading those scriptures, no one can say on Judgment Day, that's not fair, man. No. No. Can't say that. Okay? That won't work. Every word, every deed, listen now, is observed by God. So there will be no argument or defense. And I want you to follow me here. On that day, see, on that day, there will be a prosecution but no defense. There will be a judge but not a jury. There will be, listen now, a sentence but no appeal. There will be punishment but no parole. Got it? The entire procedure will be completely fair and right because what? Revelation 19, verse 2a. Write it down. Revelation 19, verse 2a says, For true and just are his judgments. God, God will expose their sinful ways and then pronounce judgment. So this judgment will be personal, universal, justifiable, and finally this, this, this judgment will be eternal. Say eternal. Let's go back to the end of verse 13. Let's jump back to the verse, verse 13. For whom blackest darkest darkness excuse me, has been reserved, what? Forever. Jesus will come again. 
And he will come again in power and great glory and all who have denied his mercy, his grace, his salvation, okay, for the ways of sin will face his wrath and eternal separation. Now I want you to write this down because I want to point something out to you. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. Ezekiel 18, verse 32. Because there it says this, that God, listen now, God, is he God? Okay. God does not delight or take pleasure in punishing the wicked. It's not like God's up there saying, oh, I can't wait to just smoke these people. He doesn't take delight or pleasure in punishing the wicked. But he must because he's just. But he doesn't take delight, right, or pleasure in doing it. Are you guys with me? Their deception, their destiny, number three, and I'm going to use this word, their discourse. Say that. Their discourse. Because here what Jude does, Jude shows us the verbal, the verbal activity of these false teachers, these apostates. What they say, the words, their discourse, the words that leak from their lips. If you're still with me, say amen. Look at verse 16. These men are what? They're grumblers, murmurers. Just like the Israelites, right, in the Old Testament that Jude pointed pointed out back right in the beginning of, this, of, of, of his book, these false teachers, these apostates, discontentedly grumbled, murmured against God. Not just against God, against his law, against his leaders. They grumbled of their lot in life. Are you with me? So these men, these apostates, these false teachers, they grumbled, they murmured. Let's read on. And fault, fault finders, that word could also be rendered as complainers. They not only grumbled, but they complained. Now, there's a difference between grumbling and complaining. I'll tell you why, friends. The word complain, complainer means to place blame on someone else. Are you with me? So the idea here is someone who is always discontent, always dissatisfied, but blames someone else for it. You get that? And you see, these false teachers, these apostates, would grumble and complain. And if they could get the people in the church, listen now, if they can get the people in the church to grumble and complain, then they can cause division in the church. Yeah? Listen, when thoughts, listen, listen, church, when thoughts of discontent or dissatisfaction are planted, then the false teachers, the apostates, can manipulate the people in the church and get them to be critical of the pastor and of the leadership. Got it? So here's a lesson. Are you ready to lesson? Don't be a complainer. Yeah? Don't be a complainer. Why? Because complaining, got to get this, complaining insults God. Did you get that? Complaining insults God because it attacks God's sovereignty. It attacks God's provision. If you're safe, say Amen. Listen, if you're saved and if you're, if you're always grumbling, murmuring, and complaining, what you're saying is that God does a lousy job of taking care of me. That's what you're saying. And this begs the question, how do you stop being a complainer? I'll tell you how. Be a worshiper. Can I get, a, can I get him in? Why be a worshiper? Because you can't complain and worship at the same time. Can't. Are you with me? 
A complainer is discontent. A complainer is dissatisfied, but a worshiper is thankful and grateful for their lot in life. Amen? Psalm 34.1. You got to love this. This is going to become one of my favorite verses. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, listen to what it says. His praise will always be on my lips. So if his praise is always on my lips, your lips, then we have no room or, to, or time to complain. Right? I love that. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, his praise will always be on my lips. Let's read on. Let's read on. They follow their own evil desires. So in other words, there's no little or there's, there's, there's little or no concern for what is right, for what is holy. Listen, the driving forces are their own lust. Now I want you to follow me here, okay? Because we're talking about their lips, their words. You see, their, their talk, and we're going to look at this next week, their talk points to their walk. Are you with me? Follow me. You can tell by the way a person walks, by, by how they live, their lifestyle, but what, by what they say. Got it? By what they say. You can just tell. When you talk to somebody and all the, the rhetoric that comes out of their mouth, you can tell. You can tell how they live. Right? You can tell. Let's read on. They boast about who? Themselves. They boast about themselves. They speak of their credentials and, and they use a religious vocabulary that makes them look high, makes them look mighty, and, and they're putting themselves on their own pedestal. And, and, and they boasted proud, swelling words in an effort to promote themselves as spiritual and committed to God, friends, but their hearts are cold and void of the truth of God's word. Listen, and I want you to hear my heart. I would rather hear a common, uneducated man or woman who knows Jesus, then hear a man or woman with the highest of education who knows nothing about Jesus. Amen? I'm reminded of this story, and it's an amazing story. There was once a, a Shakespearean actor who was known everywhere for his one-man shows of readings and recitations from the classics. And he would always end his performance with a dramatic reading of Psalm 23. Each night, without exception, as the actor began his recitation, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The crowd would listen attentively. And then at the conclusion of the psalm, they would rise in thunderous applause in appreciation of the actor's incredible ability to bring the verse to life. But one night, just before the actor was to offer his customary recital of Psalm 23, a young man from the audience spoke up. Sir, do you mind if tonight I recite Psalm 23? And the actor was quite taken back by this usual, unusual request, but he allowed the young man to come forward and stand front, stand front and center on the stage to recite the psalm, knowing that the ability of this unskilled youth would be no match for his own talent. With a soft voice, the young man began to recite the words of the psalm. 
when he was finished, there was no applause. There was no standing ovation as on other nights. All that could be heard was a sound of weeping. The audience had been so moved by the young man's recitation that every eye was full of tears. Amazed by what he had heard, the actor said to the youth, I don't understand. I have been performing Psalm 23 for years. I have a lifetime of experience and training, but I have never been able to move an audience as you have tonight. Tell me, what is your secret? And the young man quietly replied, Well, sir, you know the psalm. I know the shepherd. Amen? Listen, false teachers. Yeah, you can applaud. You can applaud. Amen? Do you know the shepherd? False religious leaders are not interested in telling people the truth of God so they can be right with God. They are interested in telling them what they want to hear so people will support them. Are you guys with me? Look at the, look at the next verse. And flatter others for their own advantage. There it is. They're not interested in telling people what they need to hear, tell them what they want to hear, and flatter others for their own, what, advantage. You know what Paul said? Paul said in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, 2 Timothy 3, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that the time will come, listen, church, the time will come when people will turn away from the truth of sound doctrine and tolerate only those who entertain and make people feel good, telling them what their itching ears want to hear. Don't we see that today? Don't we see that today? There are many out there on the pulpit who do not want to preach the Word of God anymore. It's a bunch of stories and, and things that the people want to hear rather than the Word of God. If you're safe, say amen. Listen, church, we need to carefully analyze and evaluate in the light of scriptures everything we hear and not, say not, allow ourselves to be swayed by eloquent oratory. We need to be sure that the Bible teachers, we, that you and I listen to, are speaking the truth, including me. You need to know that I'm speaking the truth. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Here's a lesson. Are you ready? Lesson Eloquence is never a substitute for truth. Eloquence is never a substitute for truth. And I got to tell you, friends, sadly, sadly, there are many Christians who are moved more by style than by content, who are moved more by charisma than by character. Truth is truth. Amen? So as we wrap this up, if you're saved, say amen. In these dangerous and deceitful days, and they are, aren't they? May, may God give you and I, his children, his church, the wisdom and the discernment to identify false teachers and false teachings, and that you and I as a church, listen now, 
remain faithful to him, to God, and to faithfully stand and contend and defend and fight earnestly and vigorously for the truth of his word. Amen? It's all about truth. So I'll stand as we close. Father, we...